we're going to continue our series through Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And we are 20 weeks into this series um, in a 21-week series. You got one more week. And then guess what? Christmas is here, which is either great news or you're like, ah, um, or somewhere in between. But the last two weeks have been some of, in my opinion, the most timely and important messages um, as they point to a, a challenge in the reality of following Jesus, which is this. How do we, as a people, pursue unity together in the areas in which we disagree? Right? We've talked about that there are essential things about our faith. They're immovable for us. But then there is a lot of other things right, that we navigate on a day-to-day -day basis that are debatable issues. They're decide-for issues. They're things that we can disagree on and still call each other brothers and sisters, right? And, and the unique thing about that is that there is no other system of the world, there is no other religion or philosophy that not only provides the pathway for that, but the power for a people to actually embody that together. The last couple of weeks have been incredibly important. They've been timely. And my goal this week is actually to keep things rather simple. It's just to continue to build on the foundation that we established over the last two weeks. Now, when I was in college, in my undergraduate degree, um, I got a Bachelor's of Science in Biblical Studies. So affectionately, I have a BS in BS. <laughs> so <laughs> that's my degree. Um, <laughs> Within the pursuit of my undergrad, I fell in love with a particular um, aspect of theology, and it's called practical theology. And it is what you would think it is, right? Theology, the study of God and who he is and how he impacts your world, but then the ability to take that high theology and actually put it in practice, as my friend Steve says, in the very dirt world that we live in. My, my dad at one point when I was young said to me, Alex, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, right? Which is an analogy and a figure of speech. His point being is that our faith and our theology, these things should intersect into our very lives. There should be a practical outworking of what we believe, right? But in order to do that, there are times when we just have to have a very practical nuts and bolts kind of message. And so that is what today is. Practical theology, nuts and bolts. How do we do the very thing that we have been talking about over the last few weeks? Paul says this in Romans 14 verse 19, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. So if there is a pursuit an aim, a goal for the people of God, what Paul is saying, it's this, let us pursue this together. What promotes peace and what builds one another up. And so today's message, again, is practically grounded on how do we do that? How do we navigate that? And so the text today is in Romans 15. If you have a Bible, we're gonna start in verse one and we're gonna see how far we get. <laughs> That was a joke, by the way. <clears throat> if you have a pew Bible, you can turn to page 805. Um, they're in the pew backs in front of you. Um, this message is gonna be personal to me because at a point in time in my life when I was becoming a young man, I was really wrestling with this question. What are you going to do with your life? 
right? At some point in time, everyone is asked that question. And I just want to kind of put it out there, especially to those of you that are younger. I don't think that's a very good question. And here's why. Because I don't think your significance, your identity, your value in this world is wrapped up in what you do. I think the better question is, what kind of person do you want to be? What character do you want shaped in your life? Because listen, whether you're making shoes at Nike or cleaning up sewers down the road, there are things about who you are as a person that matter more than what you do. Are you patient? Are you loving? Are you kind? Are you filled with grace? Are you compassionate? Are you forgiving? That matters infinitely more than just the thing that you do. The questions we ask reveal the things we value. Encourage you guys, this is for free by the way, ask better questions. Who do you want to be? What kind of human do you want? Paul encourages us and invites us to be a specific kind of person. When I was wrestling with that question, I came to something the Lord gave me, which is this, I want you to build people. That's the kind of person I want you to be. Someone who strengthens, builds up, edifies, encourages other people around you. Now, I don't have the corner market on that, by the way, right? This isn't exclusive to Alex. What we're going to read today is actually an encouragement that we as a people get to be the kind of people that build other people up. That is the invitation. Who do you want to be when you grow up? The kind of person that gets to build someone else up. Now, Paul says this in Romans 15, verse one. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Ouch. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insulted you have fallen on me. Let's zoom in on one phrase. First, bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. The word bear means, is bastazo in the Greek and it literally means to carry a burden. And that particular burden carrying is helping carry one another's burdens. Paul in his letter to the Galatians in chapter six says this, Carry one another's burdens, bastazo one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Now what you're going to see in Romans 15, and particularly the parts we look at, but he continues to do this, is Paul is going to do something really brilliant. He's going to use a word or two that is going to tell you, it's a hint, he's alluding to the teachings of Jesus, So when he says the word bear with one another, his design, the mechanism of how he's writing is to try to take your attention and draw it back to a teaching of Jesus when he establishes this idea. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 41, if someone forces you to go one mile, bastazos you, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not return away from anyone who wants to borrow from you. Now in context, Jesus is talking about a radically different way to respond to injustice. See, in Paul's day, a Roman soldier could grab you. It doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. You could be on your way to your daughter's wedding, walking there, you walk past a Roman soldier and they say, you, 
You're coming with me. You've got to carry my stuff for a mile in the opposite direction. And you have no rights to do anything about it. Right? So that would obviously be frustrating. Anyone with me? Like irritating and annoying. And if that had been sort of the context that you had lived in, think of the guy who was on his way and all of a sudden had to take Jesus's cross and carry it for him. He did not have an option or a choice. He was forced to. Right? You're on your way to do something important. The Roman guard grabs you and says, you need to go do something else. How do you respond to such injustice? Rage? Anger? Revenge? Jesus teaches a higher way. And in doing so, he reinforces this radical liberty that you and I have in the gospel. See, his point is, is that the Roman soldiers may be able to tell you where you can go with your body, but they don't get to tell you where you go with your soul. Right? And in that, you have dignity and value and significance and worth that no human being can take away from you. So instead of just physically doing what you have to do, journeying for the mile, Jesus says, go beyond that. Be free of their limitations and give something more and significant and radically different. And in doing so, you withhold your liberty given to you by God, but you display a love that is reflective of your Father in heaven. That is a radically different way to respond to injustice. So this is what Jesus teaches. Paul alludes to this idea, but in a different context. Not within the context of injustice in the world, but within context of your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So he's saying if this is the way you respond to the burdens that are put upon you in injustice, well, how much more so should you respond to the burdens of your fellow followers of Jesus, right? So he is upping the ante, right? He's encouraging us to see this idea and to really live into it. Now, <clears throat> this is not to say that there's no room for boundaries, let me talk about these ideas for a minute, boundaries. Many of you have read a really good book and you're thinking in your head right now, but yeah, but what about, what about, and I hear you, I hear you. Boundaries are like the trellis for a vine, right? If a vine doesn't have a trellis, it's gonna go all over the place. It's not gonna grow up, it's not gonna grow in health, it's not gonna establish a good root system and it won't produce fruit. It'll be chaotic. Boundaries help provide the stability necessary for the vine to grow. And there are times in relationships when we're bearing with one another's burdens where boundaries are helpful, not just for you to make sure you don't kind of get run over in the process, but they are helpful for the person in which these boundaries must be applied. Let me give you an example. Thursday night, I ruined a little girl, my daughter's, night because I refused at 10 p.m. to take her to salt and straw ice cream. Now, you do not need salt and straw ice cream when you're eight years old at 10 p.m., okay? On a Thursday of all times, right? I ruined her night, but here's the deal. That was my boundary, and it wasn't just because I didn't want to go, I didn't want to stand in that really long line and taste the weird flavors or whatever. Like, that's not it. It wasn't about me. The reality was is that it was about her. It was about her health and her own good and her well-being and her need for sleep and all of that. And while she didn't understand it in the moment, she did the next day, 
but it was for her sake, not just mine, right? And I hope and pray and believe that one day when those boundaries are applied, she would instinctively understand that they were for her to grow and for her to mature, Now, another thought about boundaries is that the strong, the healthy, the mature, they need fewer boundaries than the immature, right? Because they've already had the infrastructure to grow, right? So this is an idea that's really important for us to understand because I'm gonna talk about self-sacrifice. I'm gonna talk about giving over of your time and your resources and all of that so that you could lift someone else up, but it's important to understand to do so with intention, Now, Paul says that uh, this whole idea, right, is not about pleasing ourselves, which also is a pretty countercultural message even today as it was 2,000 years ago, right? So I want to talk for a minute about the virtue of humility. Now, humility isn't a virtue that is valued in our society anymore. It hasn't been for quite some time. It's often thought of as weak, it's kind of like gentleness, where gentleness isn't really thought of as a, as a value, but when I defined, when I heard the definition of gentleness as strength under control, I thought, oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. It doesn't mean to be weak, it just means to be able to control your strength, to make sure that it's directed towards the right thing. Humility is like that, it's, it's a virtue that you look at and you say, Man, I don't really see the value there, but when you fully understand and embrace it, you see the power in humility. Paul invites us to be a humble people, which means we must surrender control. Ultimately, at its root, that's what humility is, that God is in control and you and I are not. This is one of the reasons why it's not popular, by the way, because we love the idea or at least the illusion of control. We sang it today, I surrender all. I surrender all. It's a beautiful song and I force myself to sing it because I know that there's parts of me that are always holding on, pride, ego, right? So humility or the virtue of humility is giving yourself fully to Jesus. But what that looks like as it works its way out in your life is that your life is orientated towards others. It's not about what you can get from people, it's about what you can give. Paul says that even Christ did this. This is what we believe about the gospel, that God stepped out of his heaven and came down to this earth. He took on human form and he put himself in the limitations of a human body, right? He lived, he breathed, he suffered, and he died for himself. (laughs) No, for us. What Paul is is doing here, by the way, in Romans 5, 1 through 6, is the same thing he does in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. He is describing the kind of attitude of Christ who took on humility for the good of the world around him. We would be in darkness. We would be in our sin if it wasn't for the humility of Christ. And what Paul is doing is, is encouraging us as a people to take on that same attitude and that same mindset as Christ Jesus, to take on humility for the good of others. And you know what this does? This is what I love about Jesus, is anytime he invites us to give something up, to take the hard road, we become more whole people. We become more healed and more full. So humility provides for us a security in our identity. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like when we receive the grace of God, we become children of God. No one can take that from you. 
doesn't matter how much you mess up. It doesn't matter what you do or how much you succeed. Your identity is firmly rooted in who God says you are. That's the power of humility, right? Humility provides a security of significance, right? We live in a culture that says your value to the world is what you can do or what you look like or what you say. And what the gospel says is your value in the world is because God died for you. That is a significance no one can take away, which means that it allows you to be in a position in a place like we sang earlier, I'm available. And it gives us then the power by the Holy Spirit to navigate the healthy conflict constructively, the stuff that we've been talking about. Now, let's talk about humility and conflict. I, um, I discovered something years ago that changed my life, and I want to share it with you. It's a saying that I use in management, in relationships, all sorts of things. It says, combat is optional, conflict is inevitable. Now, let me tell you the difference between the two. Um, I'm an athlete or a has-been athlete, former athlete, and um, winning always mattered to me. Right? I played basketball, college. Um, I have to win. That was, that's just a disposition inside of me. And when you apply, that, that, that's what combat is. Combat is about winning. I win, you lose. I'm the winner, you're defeated. Right? And so when you start applying that idea to relationships, it doesn't work very well. It didn't take me long in marriage to realize that when conflict arose, winning is losing. And if you've been married for any bit of time, you know what I'm talking about, right? Sometimes, even in raising children, and then times when conflict arises, winning is losing, right? Combat, this idea that we exist to win and do better than those around us, that's optional. We don't have to engage with combat with one another, but conflict is inevitable, Right? This is really helpful for me to understand that conflict is different than combat. Conflict is about you and I disagreeing about what we're experiencing or seeing, but we're working in trust towards the best possible solution. If you work on my team, I say this all the time, I invite, I mine for, I want conflict because conflict reveals trust. Okay? Like, I trust my wife fully. I know that in the core of her being, she wants what's best for my family and for me. So when conflict arises, <laughs> I have to remind myself that this conflict is about her and I working towards the best possible outcome together. Because my instinct in my sin is to win. <laughs> it's to be better than but I know that there's a level of trust that's been established between us that tells me that this conflict, regardless of how it's being communicated, is about our best. And it requires a level of humility. This is what Paul is talking about here. It requires a level of humility, the attitude of Christ Jesus to engage in conflict this way. But could you imagine, just for a second, if the world looked in on our community of faith and said, I don't really understand what they believe or why, but the way they navigate conflict is like no other. It's good news. The world needs the good news. The world needs our community of faith to reflect the attitude and the mindset of Christ Jesus. We may not all agree, 
But in our disagreement, there's humility and grace as we walk through conflict. Are you guys with me? Okay. Now, the gospel also teaches us a radical liberty. I talked about this in a moment. But there are, there's, this is the thing about liberty and freedom is that it opens the door for conflict, especially when my freedom stands against yours. Sound familiar? Love is greater than liberty. Love is greater than liberty. I've never met anyone really who makes positive changes in their life and growth without the context of love being the, 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 the place where that comes from. See, love allows us when it's appropriate and helpful to lay aside our liberties for somebody else. Now, we've talked about this for weeks, but this is the idea that must be reinforced over and over again. Because just like Paul said, this is hard. This isn't about pleasing ourselves. This is about the good of other people, lifting them up. Now, this is a difficult thing, and it reminds me of something I did this week. Um, Stacy, you're gonna get, wherever you are, you're gonna get a shout out here. I took a workout class this week, and we had these things called resistance bands wrapped around our knees. You guys know what this is? I'm like doing all this crazy stuff and I've got all this resistance against me. For 49 of the 55 minutes of class, I have this resistance band around me and it's making normal and simple moves incredibly harder. (laughs) Now, the resistance though, what it's doing is it's actually helping me grow stronger. These bands are activating these small muscles in my body called stabilizing muscles that help prevent injury or fracture and they help keep me moving. Resistance is a good thing, right? So when people resist, push against, bring conflict to you, there's two ways of looking at this. You can see that as a negative or a positive, an invitation for growth, Maybe you've heard about the experiment called the Biosphere 2, where these guys went out into the desert and they built this giant glass enclosure. And the goal was, can we create the perfect environment for life to grow and thrive within an enclosure? So they brought in plants and animals. In fact, there wasn't a very good scientific method behind this, but they did learn a lot through the process. One of the things that they learned is that unless there is wind, trees get top-heavy and fall over. Right? The trees actually need resistance in order for their roots to grow deep down into the ground to be healthy. Now, we're not talking about gale force winds. We're not talking about, you know, really hurricanes and all of that. It needs a steady amount of resistance, sometimes stronger and sometimes not, but a constant force pushing against it for it to grow, for it to be healthy. Do you see what I'm doing here? Resistance bands, wind pushing against resistance. Difficult people, I call them EGRs, extra grace required people. (laughs) They give you the greatest context for you to grow. But in order to be in that space, you have to do what Paul says, you have to embody humility. Now verse two, we're moving fast. (laughs) Verse two, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. This word, build up, it means to edify, to act with one um, in a way that promotes one's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness, to strengthen one another, to edify each other. Have you ever heard the phrase, iron sharpens iron? 
Maybe you have it cross-stitched in your grandmother's bathroom or something like that. Um, it's a phrase that is often used to say one person strengthens another person. Um, that's actually what the proverb says. But have you ever thought about what this process entails? Like, okay, I got a couple pictures just to show you. This is what iron sharpening iron looks like. Go to the next one. <laughs> There's nothing soft or gentle or easy about this process. You're taking two incredibly hard substances, heating them up to a point where they begin to change the very structure that they are, hammering them, slamming them, grinding them against one another in order that they may reach their potential. Iron sharpens iron. Don't you want a friend like that? This is what I mean by conflict helps us grow. I do think it's important to, to notice that again, when we talk about trust and relationships, I wanna say something on this. The people that you spend your time with, be intentional about those people. You want those kind of people. It's not necessarily going to be easy. There's gonna be moments when it's actually really hard. But again, at its root, you know, these are people that are in your corner. This is how we grow. This is how we become who Jesus calls us to be. Now, Paul does this again, where he alludes to a teaching of Jesus by saying the word neighbor, right? We're familiar with teachings about loving your neighbor, but I wanna read them again, again in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about what it looks like to love your neighbor. Paul is picking up on this idea subtly again. Um, Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people... What are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, let's not get too lost in the language and the translation here. The word perfect can be translated, be complete, be made whole. It also can be translated, grow up into maturity. Paul says we should build our neighbors up. Jesus radically redefines what that looks like. Right, that our, our neighbor includes our enemy. Our neighbor includes the person who stands against you. Is it possible to love and serve them in such a way that it builds them up? Simultaneously as you're doing so, you are also being built up. This is the unique challenge and invitation of Jesus. You wanna be perfect like your father? You wanna grow up into maturity like your father? Embrace this teaching. Build up even the people who try to tear you down. That is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, in order to do that, we need to build with intention. I told you I would talk about this later. Let me tell you a story. My wife was preparing before we had kids to run the San Francisco Half Marathon. And uh, she is a very disciplined person. I am working on it, okay? So when it, she approaches an endeavor like that, she has a plan and a calendar and a structure and a schedule, and she sticks to it. I am a little different uh, when I want to, right? That's kind of the way we operated at the time, at least. Now, she wanted to go out on a run, and it was dinner time. I wanted to eat dinner. Conflict. So here's my compromise. I said, okay, here's the deal. You run, 
And I'm gonna go to Burgerville and get a burger, milkshake, and fries, and I will follow you in the car. <laughs> Conflict. Healthy. She ran, and I followed her at like seven miles an hour or so in my car, drinking my milkshake, eating my fries, right? Like, she had an intention be like, to grow, be like her. I had an intention to grow, but in a different way. Don't be like me. Here's a couple practices that can be helpful to build each other up. Um, first is this, your words matter. There's a phrase that actions speak louder than words. I don't actually believe that. I think words just reveal whether or not your actions are trustworthy and true. They reveal your integrity. My experience is that I say I believe something, but my life isn't always evidence of that truth. The invitation of Jesus is to find integrity between those two things. Here's some ways you can use your words to build up. There's a parenting strategy. It's called catch your kids doing good. It's often because we find our kids doing something wrong and we reprimand them, we, we instruct them, which isn't a bad thing, that needs to happen. But simultaneously, sometimes we forget that our only interaction with them is correction. We often forget to catch and admonish and encourage them for the things that they actually do well. Now, this is really helpful for little kids, but it's also really helpful for each other. If you're in management, leadership, or in relationship with anybody, try this this week, catch someone doing good, and like, don't just think about it, tell them about it. I have been so blessed by people who out of nowhere just say, hey, I saw you doing that, or I saw you say that, and I just want to encourage you, thank you. I've never been offended by that, by the way, right? Like, we're always nervous, like, oh man, will they not take this well? It's like, no, just send it, just say it. It will be received. My encouragement this week is do that. Catch someone doing good. Be patient when you're dealing with the extra grace required people. When your blood pressure rises because you think of someone, pray and consider the gospel. What is a creative, different, life-giving way you can respond that doesn't tear them down, but build them up? In order to do that, you have to do what's called the shadow work. Um, Jesus said this in Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in dangers of the fire of hell. We don't have time to get through all of this, but what he's saying, in essence, is the same darkness that drives you to look at another human being with contempt. Maybe it's because of their ideologies or their words or their actions. Is a shard of the same darkness that drives someone to take another person's life. Don't think you are better than someone else just because you think your sin has less value or cost than someone else. When you see these with humility in right eyes, it changes everything. The person you're angry with, the person you want to drive a point home to, the internet troll that just keeps getting after you, all of a sudden you see them with compassion instead of anger. Cultivate that in your heart. Now I want to land the plane here um, because I think it's important in verse four. Not only do we need to bear with one another's burdens and navigate that, build one another up, but we also need to be a people that are built up. Paul says this in verse four, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. 
The Bible becomes a lens for us in which we see and understand the world, humanity, history, and our future. I, uh, I had a conversation with someone this week who was talking about two rather very powerful people who oversee two rather powerful nations in the world. And as they were talking about them, um, I was listening, by the way, but I couldn't help but simultaneously think about the story in the Bible about King Nebuchadnezzar. You guys know what the story is? King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful, ruthless man in the world. There is not a single military might on the face of the planet that could take down King Nebuchadnezzar. But there is God. And God gave this guy over to his own pride, his own insanity, and he ran around eating grass like a cow for seven years. There was no human might that could displace his power, but God who humbled him. So when I'm hearing these stories and I'm flooded in my newsfeed with fear and all the things that could happen wrong in the world, I am reminded, I am encouraged, I am comforted and strengthened by the teachings of the Bible that remind me that he can take the most powerful man in the world and make him eat grass like a cow. This results in hope. So what Paul is saying for you and for I is to be a people shaped and formed by the teachings of the scripture, to know the story of God because there is not one thing, one situation that you might encounter in this world that it does not speak to, that it cannot encourage you, give you instruction, or provide hope for in the face of whatever we're facing. These are the words of Paul. This is what he invites us into to be a people that bear each other's burdens, that build one another up, and are a people that are built by the scriptures. Okay. Um, we're done now. Woo. So if you would like to stand, I would love to pray um, a prayer benediction over you. This is just a simple prayer of blessing. And if you would like to receive it, you can go ahead and open your hands. May you be a people that bear one another's burdens. May you be a people that build one another up. And may you be a people shaped by the scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the words of Paul, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Love you all. Have a great rest of your day.